Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. We focused a lot on markets lately given how dramatic the events of this year have been, but as it approaches the end of the financial year, smart investors know it's time to ensure that they're making the most of the rules to boost their wealth and to legally manage their tax affairs. With all the changes due to COVID-19, there's actually plenty of traps and opportunities this year. So Paul Rickard of the Switzer Group has kindly agreed to join me and help us with some ideas and strategies to get our affairs in order. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. Great to be here. So Paul, tax time's always interesting, but this year is particularly interesting, quite a bit going on. Many people have also found their situations have changed and may have worked in an office before their home now, their business may be... Uh, under some pressure, things have changed. Let's start with investors, though, and talk about some ideas for them. Should they be considering making some portfolio changes at this time of year? Well, I think it's always a great time to review your portfolio, and you can do that uh, at any time. But the 30th of June or the end of the calendar year, always just sort of those trigger events to to have a look. And uh, so I think that's important. We, and, and particularly for those running, you know, self-managed super funds, you know, circumstances change. There's been a very volatile year in the market. You know, we've had uh, 20th of February when the market reached at an all-time high. And then if you think back to sort of the 23rd of March, we were down about 25% or a bit more and back again. So uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's been a big shift in the market. And that means that maybe, you know, thinking about your allocation different sectors uh, has changed. And so it's a good time just to, uh, you know, take step of sort of any changing circumstances in your fund, but also look at how your portfolio may be at the time to think about a bit of rebalancing. But it's also the 30th of June and that has tax consequences. And for both uh, potentially self-managed super funds, but also personal investors, yeah, there are some things we need to think about from a tax point of view. So what are the big ones you think that investors should be thinking about from a tax perspective if they are thinking it's time to rebalance? Yeah, so the most important one obviously is capital gains tax. Now let's let's be clear, if you're self-managed super fund in the pension phase, don't, you don't have to worry about capital gains tax, just ignore that. But if your self-managed fund super fund is in the accumulation phase, that's when money is going in, then potentially, you know, capital gains are taxable, uh, 15%. Uh, uh, down to 10% with the, the with the discount rule. Um, and also for personal investors, uh, pay potentially could pay tax as high as 47%. So it's it's a big issue. Um, the main thing you can think about with um, capital gains tax, of course, is that um, you, you can offset gains with capital losses. So as you sort of come up to the 30th of June and you look at your portfolio and you say, well, look, uh, during the year I've actually crystallised some gains and you might have sold some shares before the 20th of February or <laughs> even after this recent bump, um, you may want to look and just have a look through your portfolio and see whether, A, there are other shares in a, in a loss situation and think about, well, is it now the right time perhaps not to have those shares and I can offset the gains and losses. Now, you never do anything just for tax purposes. We should be super clear about that. Don't tax is not the underlying reason to actually get rid of a share. Um, but you know, it, it is a consideration. And so, if it's a bit of a dog and it's not going anywhere, and you've had it for a long time, it may be the time to give it the flick, and you can offset those gains and losses. Um, the other way is that you might have taken losses during the year 
and it might be time to take some profits. So it is just a quick, you know, thinking about there's a hard date, the 30th of June, and, and what you might do in the next couple of weeks, you know, could be very different to what you do from the 1st of July onwards. So um, the, the main tax issue is just thinking about capital gains and, and potential capital losses. So one thing with capital gains it's always worth thinking about is it's always nicer to crystallise your gains uh, and pay tax in a year when your tax rate is lower. Mm -hmm. For a few people where their salary or their work income might have been affected this year, it would be, if you were going to take capital gains on something anyway, would it be preferable to do it now rather than a thinking about it later? Absolutely, Gemma. That's, uh, many people could come to a lower tax bracket as a result of, you know, potentially having their income severely curtailed since, you know, the start of March or whenever it was. Uh, and that could actually push down their marginal tax rate, say, from 47% down to the next bracket, uh, 39%, uh, I think. <laughs> have to double-check that with Medicare. Um, and there's other brackets. So it, it, it could be a situation where it would make sense to take the gains, you know, prior to the 30th of June and not in the 1st of July if you're confident your income's going to go back up again. So they're all things to think about. And it has been, you know, it is a really exceptional year, both in markets and for many of us, because our circumstances have been are very different to what they, you know, might have started out the way of the year. Yeah, so much has changed for so many people. It, it is worth thinking as a simple statement is what tax bracket are you going to be in this year? You know, it might well be dramatically different to other years. So uh, is this a year that you want to have more income for investment purposes or less? We often find with people as they get close to retirement, for example, they will try to time certain payments either just before or just after the end of the financial year, depending on which year they're retiring in, if they're taking any payouts and so on. And we should stress, of course, that um, there are there is a discount. So if you've held the asset for more than 12 months, uh, individuals get a 50% discount. So or as I said, you pay tax at 47% of the top rate. That actually comes down to 23.5%. So it's not quite as bad. And super funds in accumulation mode get a discount of one-third. So the tax rate drops to 15% down to 10%. So... Again, you know, just thinking about assets, you know, there's a difference between selling an asset you've owned for 11 months and, you know, 29 days versus an asset you've owned for 12 months and one day. Uh, and so there just there are a few timing issues to think about um, between now and uh, the 30th of June. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're really good tips and I guess for everybody, you know, record-keeping really helps here knowing when, when you yep. purchase something. If you can't remember which date it is, that's not going to help record you Record-keeping is critical. And, with, and the other thing with shares, um, the tax office doesn't require to use, a, to use a particular method. So if you've bought, you know, let's example, you have bought, uh, you know, Commonwealth Bank shares and you might have bought multiple parcels, the tax office doesn't say you've got to use a FIFO first in, first out or, or LIFO method last in, first out when you're working out which particular parcel you might have sold. So you can actually select the parcel that gives you the best outcome from a tax point of view. So um, they're pretty, um, I won't say generous, but um, they're not prescriptive. So they say that every individual share is an individual asset and so when you come to sell something, you can actually work out which one, which of those assets you potentially sold. It's nice to have that flexibility. Definitely. And for something like CBA shares where plenty of people will have bought yeah. them many times <laughs> and held them and sold them at different times as well, having that flexibility can make it, um, can be the difference between quite substantial differences in, in tax. And having to find the cash to pay for it, which, you know, again, could be a challenging for many people. So, uh, you know, again, so just it, that's why a bit of planning between now and the 30th of June, I think, is, uh, makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, you got two weeks, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, get, get on going. It. Yeah, and next year you'll um, you'll be all prepped for the things that you forgot about for this year, which often happens. So it's also uh, thirty June is the time we encourage people to think about superannuation. Uh, it's been an interesting year for super, mm. right? Very interesting. But what are some of the key ways that people can think about boosting their super if they've got yeah, some valuable I mean, cash? The, the reason we talk about super so much is is it is the most tax effective investment vehicle for most people. You know, because of that rate of 15% tax on investment earnings and then dropping to 0% when you get into the pension phase, we all have a 0% tax rate and I'll even take a 15% tax rate. And that's why, you know, you and other guests in your program say get as much money into super as you can. It's a great investment strategy and it's driven largely because of the, the special tax rate it has. So the obvious thing is, is can you put more money into super? Do you have enough cash flow around to put more money into super? So for most people, let's, let's start with the, the two types of contributions. We have what are called concessional contributions and also non-concessional. Concessional are, they're called concessional because the person making the contribution effectively gets a tax deduction and, and the cap on that is $25,000 per person. So the main one there is your employer's 9.5%. So Compulsory superannuation in Australia, you're earning, say, let's pick a number, keep the math simple, $100,000. Your employer should have put in $9,500 into super. That means potentially you've still got, you could get another $15,500 into super to, to stay within that cap. The second type of contribution is salary sacrifice, and we always talk in programs like this about how important salary sacrifice is. And so if you have salary sacrificed on top of that, that's also used up part of that cap. Mm. So between now and the 30th of June, the question you should be asking is, well, can you perhaps salary sacrifice even more? Remember, that's cash going out, so you've got to have the cash. Or potentially, uh, if you're self-employed or just, uh, you know, not even employed at all, we can all make a, uh, a personal superannuation uh, contribution and get a tax deduction. Um, that used to be only available to self-employed people and they used to have to meet a test but now anyone can get a, a that, that deduction of again up to the maximum of $25,000. So within that cap of $25,000 you've got your employer contribution, salary sacrifice and any amount you claim as a tax deduction. And the only rule about that is you've got to be under 65. That you're all meet the work test. Yeah, and and also I'll meet the work <laughs> test. If, you're absolutely right between uh, uh, 65 and uh, 74. Yep. It's, uh, so, I mean, that that change about personal concessional contributions, so contributions that you make that then you claim a deduction for in your own name, that was amazing, right? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a huge change. And look, it did happen, I think, at the end of 2000. It's been, this is the second year, I think, for it. Um, but I still a lot of things, don't, not sure people know about it, and particularly those who are uh, self-employed or contractors um, or even, you know, um, it's, some employers don't offer salary sacrifice, you know. Um, there are a lot of smaller companies that don't have that facility. Uh, this is a way that really allows you to take advantage of effectively a tax saving by getting that money into super and uh, effectively getting an arbitrage on your tax rate without going to the details. But it's a very tax-effective way to get money into superannuation. That's the point you've got to take out. 
It's also what I love about it is most of the tax strategies that people talk about involve spending money. Mm. Now, you might be spending to uh, acquire something that will help you generate more income, which is great, uh, but generally it involves spending. This is literally transferring money out of your personal name into your super. You're not spending it. It's still your money. It's just in a different structure. The critical thing is if it goes from your personal name into super and you claim a deduction, you've got to pay 15% contribution tax on the way in, but yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> still, otherwise you would have paid forty-seven cents yeah, in your own name, yeah, so it's that's, great. That's, that's still better. I mean, it's it's still going to be a good a good strategy for you in the long term. The only downside, of course, if, if once money's into super, you can't touch it. Well, we'll come back to when you may have been able to touch it recently, mm, but yeah. uh, you can't touch it. So that's the downside. But so if, if you've got the cash, the, so that's that deals with concessional contributions. Uh, and unfortunately, super has this horrible terminology that we just got to say because we didn't invent it. It's in the Tax Act and. That's what the rules say. But the other type of, con- of uh, contribution are non-concessional contributions. And they're called non-concessional because you don't get a tax deduction for them. That's, that's the difference. Uh, and effectively, they're your own after-tax monies. So this is, you know, if, if this is money you've got at home. You might have it invested in, uh, in, in term deposit. You might have it perhaps invested in the share market in your own name. But you want to use the opportunity to put it into your super fund because longer term that's going to be more tax-effective place to keep it. Uh, and up to the age of uh, 65, um, you know, for most people, you can get $100,000 into super each year. So that's a lot of money for most people. Mm. Uh, and again, if you're in that situation where you can, uh, try to get it before the uh, the 30th of June. Um, there's also what's known as, a, uh, as the bring forward rule that effectively allows you to get three years' worth in one hit, so potentially you get $300,000 into super. A couple potentially could get $600,000 into super. You've got to do that before you turn 65. Um, so, again, there are a few things around super contributions uh, to get done potentially before the 30th of June. Super has hard dates. Mm. You know, financial years, 30th of June, that's the end of the financial year. The 1st of July is the start of a new one, and uh, that's the way we, uh, you just got to work that out in super. Yeah, it's a use it or lose it for the uh, for the non-concessional contributions and it, as exa- exactly as you say, for people who are getting really close to retirement age, it becomes quite critical to time it as well as you possibly can to ensure you maximise the amount that you're putting in because then the goal is to get that zero dollar or zero tax rate, right, in That's retirement. Right. Pension phase, beautiful thing. We, we, we should just point out a lot that the rules do change on the 1st of July and the 65 year age is being lifted to 67, but you, that's not till the 1st of July. So if you're over six, between 65 and 67, you're going to have to wait till next financial year. I've had a lot of questions about that uh, in the last couple of weeks, so um, that's important. Look, a couple of other contributions um, that I think are really important and not utilised as, um, as they should be, uh, and this is where the government actually provides you with help, and I think if you can get the government to help, um, why wouldn't you? Uh, and the first one is the co-contribution. Now, this has been around, I think John Howard put this in place back in 1999 or 2000. Oh, wow. It's, maybe, I was it, thinking it, early 2000s. It, it might have been, been early 2000s. It was a lot bigger then. It's now um, down to effectively $500. But if you make, uh, and I'll come to the conditions you have to go through, but if you make a contribution of $1,000 into super, potentially the government will match that with another $500. So it's a way of getting $1,500, $1,000 of the government's, of your money, $500 of the government's money. So 
that's a no-brainer if you can. So what, do you, what, what, what circumstances do you need to be? Well, first of all, you've got to be, uh, have income below uh, a certain amount. And the current test is about 38500 $38, Few dollars. I'll just find my little <laughs> notes. Can't remember the the, the, the cents. We can so, put them on the on the website. Thirty eight thousand five hundred and sixty four dollars. That's the first test. Now that may not be you, but it could be. You might have a spouse or a partner, um, and I'll come to a couple of other things. An adult child, but who has who's got an income below a certain amount. So thirty eight thousand five hundred sixty four. They've got to be under seventy one. And the third test, and probably the most important test, is they actually have to earn some income out of an employment source. Now, that doesn't mean they have to earn a lot. They've got to have at least 10% of their income coming from an employment source. So that means they actually worked you know, part-time you know, somewhere during the year and had some form of employment. So within that 38000 at least 10%, you know, they, it could be less than 38000 at least 10% or whatever the amount is, has to come from an employment source. Uh, and I should just point out that that actually amount, the co-contribution phases out once the income goes to 53,564. So it does phase out. But it's still a, it's, it's still a bit of a no-brainer. If you've got a non-working spouse, a partner at home, perhaps uh, he or she has done a little bit of work, this is a way to help them. I actually think, and I've used this myself uh, as a father, that with, I've got adult children, you know, university students, well, had, they've probably grown up a bit now, but they were adult children once, you know, with part-time jobs. And uh, look, we helped found a way to help them make a contribution of $1,000 to super, and the government chipped in another $500. So uh, again, a bit of a no-brainer if you're in that situation. I thought that was such a beautiful thing to do for kids. Like, it's... It's very unsexy for them. Very unsexy. <laughs> you can guarantee they're not going to touch for another 50-something years. Yeah, right? yeah. So they're going, gee, Dad, why did you bother? Or gee, yeah. Mum, why did you bother? But long term, first of all, it's the only guaranteed 50% return you're ever going to get tax-free. Uh, you know, that extra $500 that goes in on the 1000 that's it's a guaranteed return, right? It's a lovely thing. And, uh, and you accumulate that over time. It's really powerful. And you hope that your kids learn something from that as well. I think it's a really, it's a very generous thing to do without the, uh, without the recipient realising yeah, just how generous. Look, I hadn't thought about how unsexy it is. And, uh, but a lot, I know a lot of parents um, obviously, you know, want to help their kids, but they're also worried about the kids as they grow up and whether the money's going to be spent in, a, in, in, a, in an appropriate way and, you know, this is a way that you're helping them out. Sure, the help won't be seen for another 50 years, <laughs> thereabouts, but uh, it's it's a good form of long-term saving. So uh, it's, it's an easy way to help. So that's the co-contribution. You don't have to do anything. You just have to make sure that a $1,000 contribution goes in and when they their super fund you know, reports the reports the tax office, the tax office will automatically pay it to their super fund. You don't need to lodge any form or anything. So all you've got to make sure is $1,000 goes in. The other one, uh, again, has been around for a long time. This is the, the tax offset for, sp for spouse super contribution. So you get a tax offset for making a contribution to your spouse's super. The maximum amount you can get is $540. That comes off your tax. If you make a $3,000 contribution to your spouse's super. Now, the only proviso on this is your spouse's total income has to be under $37,000. So, uh, again, it's a way to help the superannuation of a low-income spouse. They can, have, they can be a stay-at-home spouse with no other income or zero income. You put $3,000 into their super, you get the tax offset of $540. Now, again, don't do it the 1st of July. 
do it before the 30th of June to qualify. Yeah, nice. That one has been around for a long time and that has become more generous over time because it used to be $12,800, which was a very low income for a spouse to be able to earn. Now they can earn more and... um, and obviously be the uh, the beneficiary of that. On the topic of unsexy things for kids, this is funny more than anything else. There's no other reason to... Ma- oh, I like the phrase because that's probably why <laughs> I, I did. I've got absolutely no response whatsoever and I now recall why I did Well, I, I, I know a very wealthy man who, uh, who bought cars for his children when they turned 18. They each got a car, but he didn't want them to, uh, to do anything dangerous, so they got a Volvo. They each got a Volvo. <laughs> so these kids were like, Dad's buying me a car, how awesome. And they all got a Volvo, which they, again, thought was very unsexy. One other just final point of contribution, just a reminder that um, your super fund's got to receive and bank the contribution by the 30th of June. So the 30th of June this year is a Tuesday. Most super funds say allow at least two working days, the same for an SMSF, so I wouldn't make your contributions by Friday the 26th of June. Don't leave it to the 30th of June, it'll miss out. Yeah, we've seen people running up and down the street with checks and so on. It's not it's not good. Don't do it that way. Uh, so one thing on superannuation that is materially different this year is we have seen, sadly, hundreds of thousands of people withdraw mm. up to that $10,000 limit that was made possible um, through a temporary change in the legislation. So as we've been discussing, superannuation is preserved until you reach retirement age or meet one of these conditions of release that we won't go into any detail on, but generally it's there for your retirement. You can't touch it until then. And then because of COVID uh, and the very significant impact on people's incomes and short-term cash flow, they allowed this $10,000 withdrawal this year and again from 1st of July uh, for people whose income have been impacted. Hundreds of thousands of people have made those withdrawals. Do you have any suggestions for those people? Yeah, look, well, first of all, I think um, I think it was a good move on the government to make it available. I think the tests, uh, yeah, they tried to make it really simple for people and you, I think you are supposed to have shown that your work income and hours have been reduced by 20%, I think, is the measure. Anyhow, uh, whether they're all in that category, who knows? But I think it, it was probably a good measure. I think the first thing is that, look, we, we spent talked earlier about how, you know, so if you had any vehicle to invest for, you'd choose superannuation. It is going to be the best way to invest for the long term. And so if you're being forced into a situation where you need to access your super now, um, I think the priority has to be is how can you get that money back into super as fast as you can? Because... The numbers about what it's going to mean to how much income you've got in retirement are pretty frightening. Just to give you a couple of examples, you know, if you're, um, you know, say uh, 45 years old and you've got 20 years for retirement, um, that $20,000 that you take out of super uh, is going to cost you something between about $53,000 and $93,000 to your retirement income. And that's usually fairly conservative returns, 5% per annum for for 53,000, 8% at 93,000. But if you're, if you're 25 and you've got 40 years to go, right, this is where we talk about the power of compound interest, that 20,000 is going to cost somewhere between 140 dollars and $434,000. So an 8% return for 40 years sees that 20,000 go to $434,000. And that's not an un, those numbers have been achieved over about that the recent 40 years. So, you know, it's not out of the question. Um, so if you've, ha- you've been forced to tap into your super now, I think, you know, and first of all, 
you don't have to necessarily go ahead with the second half of the draw in, in July. I think you can still change your mind. So you remember there are two, there's $10,000, up to $10,000 pre-30th of June and another $10,000, I think it's in July. I think you can, you can actually change the second instruction and stop that. You can change the instruction any time from what I can gather. Certainly some of the super funds that I've been speaking to have been getting people calling saying, actually, I've changed my mind. Yep. So they made an application to the tax office. By the time the notifications got to the super fund, they've called up and said, please don't. I don't need it anymore. Partly, I think, because this was announced before JobKeeper yeah, and JobSeeker. It was, it, was, it was the first thing I think they announced. And uh, obviously JobKeeper has, uh, has changed the environment for many people. So if, so if you have had a process and you've put an instruction in and they, they are due to you know, do the second half in July, you can change that. Stop that, cancel that. But if you're still in the circumstances where you need to access the money, then my advice would be then have a plan, you know, and obviously that might require you, you know, your employment situation changing, but have a plan to try to get that money back into super uh, as fast as you can because it ultimately is going to be a very, you know, you're going to look back on that decision in many years' time and say, look, I know I needed to make it, because I had to actually, I needed money to live and all other things, and it was good reason, but I regret having had to do it. So the sooner I get the money back into super, the sooner it can grow again in a very tax-advantaged way. You've been pretty clear about this already in this conversation, but I thought I'd cover it off anyway, and I saw a letter that had been written to the Barefoot Investors, to Scott Pape, who's um, very prolific in his advice to people, and it's very simple and clear, which is really helpful. Someone had written to him and said... I'm taking the money out of super and I'm going to invest it in my own name so I don't have to put up with all these terrible fees that I have to pay <laughs> in super. So can you quickly remind people why that is not a thing you would do? Scott yeah. Pape did do this in his response. Yeah. So uh, when, when we invest as individuals, we, we pay tax. We pay tax at a minimum of 19%. That starts in when our income goes over uh, $20,000 is a tax-free threshold or twenty. $19,200, we start paying tax at 19% and potentially we pay tax as high as 47%. When the money is invested inside a superannuation fund, the maximum tax rate it pays is 15%. So there's a huge difference between 15% in a super fund and a minimum of 19% and a maximum of 47%. You can Superannuation fund can invest just as well, if not better, than you can. And you can still have fees and you'll still be better off in a superannuation fund. And when, furthermore, when it goes into that, what we call the pension phase, when we actually start to take money out, but you don't never take all your money out of superannuation. We, most people don't. It stays and you get paid a pension. It's at that tax rate of 0%. And I'm sorry, you cannot invest and pay tax at 0%. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think also it used to be quite common for people to invest outside superannuation. They would buy investment properties and all sorts of things and invest, save and so on outside and then they got close to retirement, realised how great allocated pensions and the pension mm. phase tax rate of zero was and they would liquidate all their assets and throw the money into super and start a pension. You can't do that anymore because the limits are so small. Yep. So you've, as you mentioned... And, and it's hard 000. to get money to super. So that, that's the other thing. It, the, the super system was was open-ended and uncapped and now of course we have what's called a things like a total superannuation balance and we have what's called a transfer balance caps of 1.6 million dollars so it's pretty hard to get a lot of money into super so uh, you, you know the caps we talked about the concessional cap of $25,000 that was once 
dollars, right? Per employer per as well, just for fun. Yeah. So it's come down from one hundred eighty thousand to twenty five thousand dollars. People just forget how much super, how hard it is now to get money into super. So when you can get money in. And so if you have to take it out, it's almost as important to have the goal of getting it back in as soon as you can. Yeah, and we understand absolutely that people, you know, what's happened in the last three months has just been extraordinary and so many people have had to go through so much. If that has been your situation, you know, don't feel bad about it, but just don't sit and forget the fact it's not in there anymore. If you can get it back in, that'd be great. So on the subject of how people's lives have changed over the last few months, working from home has become a reality for many, many people and obviously there's plenty of people who can't. But for those who have had to work from home, there's been this whole series of expenses that you suddenly incur. A lot of us have gone, oh, I'm saving so much money not buying lunch and, you know, not paying for a bus and whatever, but I had to go out and buy uh, a new screen and I had to set up a desk and a chair and, you know, a mat to save the carpet or whatever it is that you had to buy, uh, a Wi-Fi range extender in our case to, get to, <laughs> to make sure that everything worked. Can you, and a lot of people have been going, oh, well, I'll claim all of those things on my tax. So can you talk us through what sort of stuff is claimable and how? Well, uh, it's not as, um, look, it's, it's no panacea running a, a home office. So that's the first thing. I don't want to put people let people down too much, but uh, it's no blank check working from home in terms of what you can claim. So there are things you can claim and there are, this year there's an additional method. The tax office is trying to make it pretty simple. But essentially, let me start talk about the things that you can't claim. For example, you can't claim things like, you know, coffee, tea, milk and all the things that you go into eating. You know, if you're at home and you get a cup of coffee and some milk and you have lunch at home, they're not claimable. Right? So forget I'm just going to get myself a right? fruit box, weekly fruit box. Secondly, you can't, if you've got kids at home, right, and you can't claim the cost of things like, you know, any cost of looking after the children. You can't claim childminding. You can't claim uh, taking the kids out. You can't claim buying them an iPad so they can amuse themselves. All those things aren't claimable. And, and essentially then with uh, everything else um, that you want to claim, it's, it's by and large the principle has got to be sort of a portion between use for work and use for home. Uh, and and then the, they have fairly strict limits on it. So, for example, you know, I'll come to some of the methods, but, you know, you talk, we all know we're at home, we're using electricity. Well, if your home office is sort of takes, in, you know, about, you know, and you might be at home and you might have, you know, the electricity being used for, um, uh, you know, the, the laptop and you've got the heater on because it has been winter, right? But if your home office takes up about, you know, 5% of your property, <laughs> you know, that's about the amount of your electricity bill you get to claim, right? Because the tax office says, well, apportion your electricity between your home office and your living. And we all know that, you know, that uh, that can't be done. So they go to a simple method and say, well, if the home office is, if you, if your house space is, you know, 200 square metres and the home office is, you know, 20 square metres and the maximum amount of your electricity bill you can claim is 10%. And then you've got to sort of really claim it, you know, for five days out of the seven days. So there's a, there's a whole lot of formulas here. So it's no panacea. Um, and so there are some shortcut methods that the tax office has introduced. There's a special method just for COVID-19. So the tax office recognises that uh, a lot of people have worked from home um, between March, the 1st of March and the, and the 30th of June. So they've introduced a basically a no documentation method for anyone who had to work at home between the 1st of March and the 30th of June, allowing you to claim 80 cents per hour for every hour you worked. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. 
so we do work 40 hours a week. That's about $40, $32 a week. And that's about uh, 16 weeks. So you can claim, you know, 16 times 32. It's about $600 maximum. No documentation required. And that covers things like, you know, electricity, um, what they call decline in value. That's sort of the depreciation on your chair and on your furniture and all the other costs that go with that. Um, and some other general expenses. And they've just said, you don't need any documentation. You just got to keep a logbook or a timesheet to show how many hours you worked at home over that period. So it's a very specific period, 1st of March through to the 30th of June, and we'll pay you 80 cents an hour. No documentation essentially required. And I think a lot of people will use that method. That's method one. So a lot of people have actually gone out and bought physical items to be able to work from home. So this is one I'm quite interested in, partly because so many people have mentioned it to me. So if I go and buy a screen purely for work purposes, I won't use it subsequently for any other reason, or I have to buy something to set a printer or whatever, are those things claimable? Yeah, so then, then we come to sort of the – that's method one. So under method one, no, you just claim the straight 80 cents an hour, okay? Um, and you don't really worry about things like the what we call decline in value. So if you buy a laptop, that's sort of the depreciation of the laptop. You don't worry about that. There is a second method which is, uh, has, has been there for, for, for some years called the fixed rate method. That's at 52 cents an hour, and that covers the whole year. So you can use that method from the 1st of July through to the, the – um, uh, 30th, uh, 30th of June, um, and that essentially allows you to work out a representative period. So before, even before COVID-19, a lot of people were spending, you know, they might do two days of work in the, at home and three days in the office. And so you basically look at a representative period of four weeks, how many hours you worked at home, worked out the number of hours over the course of the year, and then you multiply that by 52 cents. So that's, that's there. And the third method coming to your question is, is what they call the actual cost method. And this is where you look at things like the depreciation of things you purchase and things you have to buy. So, for example, you know, if, if you had to buy, you know, paper for the printer uh, or stationery, you could, you could claim that in full. You obviously need to have a receipt because the tax office is going to come and look at that. If you bought equipment over the value of $300, so, for example, you know, a um, good laptop or, you know, a big screen, then you'd have to go through a depreciation method. And first of all, you'd have to apportion between the laptop and say, how much is home use versus how much is business use? So most people, the tax office, you say, I buy a laptop, but use it just for business. Tax office is going to say, really? <laughs> now, there will be circumstances <laughs> where people do because it's some super special laptop. There might be a graphics designer, but the tax office knows that that's not normally the case. So your first thing is you have to say how much is business use versus how much is private use. And then you apply depreciation to it. And so, and generally those sort of items will be depreciated over three years and there's be set values. So it's not, it's no panacea when you go what's called the actual cost method. So the tax office says to you, there are three methods you can use. You can use a combination of the methods. So you can use the, the uh, fixed rate method up until the 1st of March and then the shortcut method from the, from the 1st of March through to the 30th of June, or you can use a combination of, of other of parts of it. Uh, but it's, uh, let, let me just put your dispel up front, you won't find there's going to be a lot of money in terms of – and remember it's a deduction, right? It's mm. not actually – you're not getting yeah, a rebate. It's, it's just rebate. reducing your taxable income. So it's um, – I encourage everyone to look at it uh, and um, I think most people will probably come and say the easiest is going to be the shortcut method if you're in the situation where you spent that period working at home. 
uh, and no documentation apart from being able to prove that you've worked those hours uh, and just claim it. So here's where it differs. That's for employees, mm-hmm. right? If you're self-employed and you run your own business, there are some things now that you can claim very substantial amounts is straight up. Yeah, so look, yeah, there are, it is a bit different being self-running a business and I think the critical test here is really you need an ABN, right? And um, most of us don't have ABNs. Um, so, uh, uh, so I think we, we were covering up front the, the example for most people who are working or employed and uh, a lot of people had to work from home. So uh, there's a quite a good imp- lot of information on the ATO's website. So just go to the ATO's website and just um, just look at just before you even talk to your account, just look at home office expenses, crunch a few numbers, and I think you'll come away and say that's nice. But it's no, you know, you won't be, um, you know, out in the town on the result of it, right? <laughs> but if you've got an ABN, uh, you can effectively. Um, uh, so this is a company or a partnership or, or you're self-employed with, with an ABN, of course you can avail yourself to the instant asset write-off. Now this has been around for a long time but it has been extended and has been increased and effectively this allows you to write off the purchase of any asset upfront. And that asset can go up to $150,000 in value and there can be model of them. So you can buy a whole lot of assets, potentially up to $150,000 and write them off up front. Now, the only test is that your turnover has to be less than $500 million. And I think for most of our listeners, Gemma, unless you've got a... <laughs> it's quite a big business, if that's you. Quite a big business. Probably now, not listening to the, the podcast for the tax. Only, and of course, there's still a bit of time to think about if you if you cash flow is strong with your business, whether you should be buying some assets before the 30th of June and take advantage of that instant asset write-off and reduce your tax, 100% tax deductible this year. The only caution I say is that you only pay tax when you when your revenue exceeds your expenses. And if you aren't making money and aren't going to be a taxpayer, then buying an asset for a tax deduction makes no sense whatsoever, right? So, so you have to have the revenue... Remember, you know, deductions come off revenue to reduce the amount of tax you end up paying. So uh, if you're in the situation where A, you have the cash flow and B, you have a net of income over expenses, more income over expenses such that you'll be paying tax, then, you know, you may want to think about is there something you need? Do you need a new laptop or a piece of equipment or a big printer or if you're running a cafe, whatever it is, do you need a $6, new fridge toaster. or $6,000 <laughs> toaster or, you know, sometimes cars. There are some rules around cars you've got to be careful of, but uh, tradies and new vans and, you know, all the equipment that the tradies and others would use, this is the time to do it. The good news is just in the last few days um, the government's announced that this is, scheme is actually going to be extended post the 30th of June, so there's not quite the same urgency. But if you want to get the tax deduction this year, um, you'll need to do it prior to the 30th of June. So this one is absolutely fascinating because it was origi- when you mentioned tradies, it was originally talked about as Tony's tradies. Do you remember? Yeah, and that's it was why under I, the Abbott I, government, <laughs> and it was ten thousand dollars from memory. It was set at ten thousand, and now it's one hundred and fifty. So it's changed a great deal. Uh, and, and then the- went to twenty thousand. There are all sorts of the turnover has gone up about five times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're basically everyone except a big major you know, yeah, multinational BSB. can get yeah. access to it. So the other th- so the other thing we should just say about businesses as well. Um, so that's that's the incident asset write off. And, and again, as impl- as individuals, it's very hard for us to do this. But the other thing for um, people with an ABN, 
Uh, and you've got to be a little bit careful about this and do it so that it, um, you know, it can be substantiated, is the general principle is to do, if you can, you know, effectively, potentially, I won't use the word delay, but maybe you, tr you want income coming in the next tax year and you want to accelerate expenses this year. So if your cash flow is strong and you've got net income, you know, think about whether there's any expenses you really should be paying before the 30th of June. You know, sometimes you can prepay things up to 13 months. You know, we still have things like, um, we'll come to individuals maybe, but there are things you can prepay. But that's sort of the general principle. So again, if you've got your own business at home um, or wherever you are, talk to your accountant. I wouldn't, don't talk to your accountant on the 1st of July. <laughs> if you've got an accountant, talk to them now. Right? This is when they should be busy, not after the 1st of July, and have a look at your books and just see whether they're things that you might want to um, look at doing between now and the 30th of June. So any final tips then for people to consider? Obviously talking to your accountant is a really good idea. Any other uh, strategies? Well, I think the obvious one is just the obvious tax deductions. You know, a lot of charities are doing it tough. So if you're, uh, you know, this is the time to be thinking about things like donations to charities. Um, they've had a pretty tough year, particularly with bushfires, probably followed by COVID-19. So if you are have had a good year, had a good year in the share market, uh, this is time to reciprocate. Um, I mean, the, the general things about just planning, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually now is the right time to be digging out your tax return from last year, talking to your accountant and do it before the 30th of June when you can still take action, not wait till the 1st of June. So you've probably covered this, but any other suggestions for people to ensure that they stay on the right side of the ATO so that they do understand... So there's absolutely nothing worse than rushing out, spending a heap of money, thinking yep. you're going to get a tax deduction. Uh, and this was a mistake I made very early in my career, not knowing the difference between a rebate and a deduction. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Learned and, the and, hard it's, way. it's just worth stressing that. So for most people, let's say your tax rate is 30 cents. Mm. Yeah, a, a tax deduction is only worth 30 cents for every dollar. So if you have a tax deduction of $100, it only reduces your tax by $30. So don't buy things just for with a tax deduction in mind. It's not worth doing. It's, sorry, it's not financially very smart. So that's – sorry to interrupt you there, Jenna. No, 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 no. It's exactly the point that I was trying to make. A rebate, you get the whole amount back again, which is fantastic. There's not a re lot of rebates available anymore. Uh, you mentioned the spouse contribution rebate uh, and there's also co-contribution, I guess, is a rebate in a, in a certain type of way. There's not a lot left out there, so uh, make sure you don't get those two things confused. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just – look, the, the tax office is trying to do the right thing and expects people to do the right thing and so – um, I mean, I've found the tax office is pretty good to work with providing, you know, they, they sort of all know we're trying to optimise our tax. But, you know, there's one thing between optimisation and avoidance. And you've got to remember there is a general provision, the anti-avoidance provision, that doesn't matter what you do, if, if the tax office can suggest that that's avoidance, they can say that that's illegal. Um, and so there's a, there is a part of the tax act that overrules, overrides everything else. And so if you're deliberately trying to shift income or do this or not have expenses or deductions or whatever it is or create things, the tax office can get you. So, look, they're there to help. Um, you know, they've, they've got a job to do. They expect people to pay their fair share of tax. They don't ask – they understand everyone wants to get the best outcome, but there's a difference between getting the best outcome and deliberately trying to avoid it. And I think, as we said at the outset, don't do things just for tax reasons, particularly from an investing point of view. Um, it's, an, it's a consideration. It's not the major consideration. We've seen, I'm sure you've seen many more than I have, but many schemes that were 
uh, designed around a tax mm-hmm. uh, tax <laughs> yes. deduction, and people paid quite a significant price for those. The uh, the agri schemes were the ones I'm thinking the, the of. The forestry products. There've yeah. been there's been a few of them, um, and uh, I've got a lot to say. There aren't some schemes that can be great investments, but um, you know, tax should be a secondary consideration when you invest. No, not the first one. Paul, Switzer and and you produce a whole lot of fantastic content, and NAB Trade Investors obviously. Uh, privileged enough to see a great deal of it, which is excellent, so they can always log in and see a great deal. But where can people go to keep up to date with your insights? Yeah, so we, we, we're really pleased that we can share a, a lot of our content with, with NABTRADE, and uh, it's been a fantastic association that Switch has had with NABTRADE. I think it's seven, eight years now, so uh, it, it's been really good. Um, but, you know, we do uh, produce a lot more, and... Um, and, of course, they can go to switzer.com.au. We've got a, a daily newsletter that goes out six days a week. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, that's, that's the starting point. So switzer.com.au. There's a lot of daily content, which is fantastic. We sort of have gone from people being happy to keep up to date with markets weekly to daily almost not being enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an unusual time. I think we're going to look back at uh, 2020 at, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's the start of the Roaring Twenties, but uh, certainly people are going to earmark 2020 as down as being a very unique year. And, uh, you know, like everyone, I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm hoping that we can get through this current uh, uh, pandemic and let's get back to normal. But um, it's been, had some great opportunities for investors and it's been awful hard and a lot of other people that have uh, you know, had their work curtailed and let's hope a lot of all those small businesses out there are back on there and, and, and thriving again as soon as they can. Paul Ricard from Switzer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening now, as always. As always, we do genuinely love to hear from you. So if there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or guests you'd like to hear from, and tax was definitely one of the ones that we uh, we hear about from you guys quite a bit, please just email your suggestions to yourwealth at nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.